Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. You know, the fact of the matter is, we can get together and we can have a prophecy conference. And guess what? People show up. And we can have an apologetics conference. And guess what? People show up. We can have a men's and women's conference. People show up. Right? We can have VBS. People will be here tonight. We have nearly 200 kids already pre-registered. I'm hoping, praying for at least 300 kids to be here tonight. Plus all of the helpers, probably 150 helpers across the campus. People show up. Right? We have a softball. And last week we played softball out on Lotus Lane. And we probably had over 80, 90 people out there. And it was like 105 degrees. People show up. You call a prayer meeting. No one shows up. You call a prayer meeting and you hear crickets throughout the church. Why? Why don't we have a passion and a desire to come into the presence of the Lord? And so if anything, if any one of those tires, again, it's our responsibility as church leadership to make sure that this church is healthy. And if there's an area where we feel that it is most significant that we're failing in as leaders is leading you into the presence of the Lord for yourself. I mean, we can lay out a table and we can lay out a meal and we can open up the scriptures to you and we can read the scriptures to you and we can give and deliver a message. But we want you to go into the presence of the Lord on your own. Again, I'm not always gonna be here to feed you. There's not always maybe going to be someone here to feed you. If, if you read your Bible, you know that in the end of days, if the, if the Lord should tarry and leaves the church here for a little while, eventually persecution is going to come. And you're going to have to know how to feed yourself, how to come into the presence of the Lord on your own. And we want you to be prepared to seek God, to seek Jesus with all of your heart, even if there's no one up here at this pulpit. You don't need whoever's up here at this pulpit to enter into the presence of the Lord. You're invited to that place whenever you choose. The scripture actually says in the book of Hebrews that you should come boldly to the throne of grace to find grace and help and mercy in your time of need. Have you been seeking God through that time of prayer? And so with this series, what we're going to do is we're gonna take out different prayers from the Bible, different people who have prayed like Daniel and obviously Jesus. And we're gonna look at some of these, these Old Testament prayers and some of these New Testament prayers. And we're gonna say, now, why were these prayers so powerful? And what the purpose of this would be is that you would catch just a little bit of taste for what it's like to pray. That when you read these prayers and when we study these prayers, that it causes you to have a hunger and a thirst to pray like that yourself. And so we're going to have opportunities throughout this series where we're going to open up the congregation or open up the sanctuary for you to come and to pray, to have prayer times, prayer groups. Again, no one's going to be forced to do anything, but you're going to be invited. And, and you can have as much as you're willing to take. You can drink in as much of the Lord as you're willing to drink in. He's available and there for you if you will just show up. And so that's what this is about. We're going to go through these different prayers. We're going to spend the entire summer looking at prayer. And we're going to begin today in Matthew chapter 21. And we're going to see the importance that Jesus places upon prayer. So if you have your Bibles, if you're open to Matthew chapter 21, we're going to pick it up in verse 12. And let me just give you a little bit of a backdrop of what's going on here. Because if you read those first few verses there in Matthew chapter 21, this is the, the season when Jesus is at the end of his ministry. 
His three, three and a half years is coming to a, a close, those years where he was publicly ministering throughout the region of Galilee and throughout Jerusalem and there in his hometown. He, he's been traveling from town to town, ministering to people, setting people free, healing people, preaching the gospel of grace, the gospel of hope, explaining to people what the Old Testament had said and that it was always pointing to him all along. He'd been preaching these things throughout this season and he comes during this Passover scene, and he mounts upon a colt, upon a donkey. He rides in to Jerusalem, and the people are worshiping. This is what we call Palm Sunday. And they're waving palm branches because they're declaring that maybe, just maybe, he's our deliverer. Maybe he's the one we've been waiting for to come liberate us from this oppression and this bondage that we've been under because the empire of Rome has kept us at bay because we can't even rule over ourselves. They've occupied our territory. And and so they look to Jesus because they see the miracles he's been working, because they see the authority with which he's been preaching and teaching. And so they look to Jesus and they say, maybe, just maybe, this is the one who God has sent to us in the spirit of Moses to deliver us from Rome, just like Moses delivered us from Egypt. And so they wave the palm branches and they're shouting out, Hosanna, which means save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who's arrived, who's come on our behalf. And so they're worshiping and they're waving these palm branches. And Jesus comes in to Jerusalem during this season of Passover when the people would be celebrating the Passover, that Passover lamb, the lamb that's blood was shed. And when it's applied to the doorpost, the angel of death would pass over that home Jesus has come. Remember, John the Baptist says, Behold, Jesus, the Lamb of God, who what? Who takes away the sins of the world. Here he is. Jesus, he has arrived. This is the one that we've been waiting for, the Passover. And they're waving their palm branches, and they're shouting, and they're crying, and they're worshiping, and they're wanting more than anything for Jesus to make his way to the Roman garrison, those Roman fortresses, and to build up the people and to rally the Hebrews to go to war and to liberate them nationally. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus wasn't concerned about the nationality at that point. Do you know what he was concerned with? Were the spiritual condition of the people. That's what he was concerned with. And so Jesus doesn't go to Rome. Do you know where Jesus goes? He goes to the temple. He goes to the place where, where the Hebrews worshiped. He went to that place, and when he gets there, he is not pleased. Pick it up with me. Matthew chapter 21, verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple, and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, and you've made it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame, they came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, and they were indignant. They said to him, do you hear these things? And Jesus said, yes, have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out to the city, out of the city, uh, to Bethany, and he lodged there. Now let's look at this for a moment. Again, this series is called the House of Prayer. Why? Because at the center of all of the Hebrew worship should have been a desire and, and a movement towards prayer, a movement towards that opportunity to come into the presence of the Lord. If you will recall, when the children of Israel left 
and fled Egypt, and they're out there in the wilderness. God gives instructions to Moses, and he says to Moses, I want for you to build a tabernacle for me, a tent. It was a makeshift temple. It was a, a portable temple, a temporary temple of sorts. I want for you to build this tabernacle. And he gave him an outline of what the tabernacle should look like. But that tabernacle was supposed to be at the very center of the camp of the Israelites. So that from whichever direction you were camped, there, one of the 12 tribes, the tabernacle was right in the middle of camp. Why? Why was the tabernacle right at the middle of camp? Because that tabernacle was the place to which any one of those Israelites could come to meet with God. Inside that tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was the tangible the, the presence of God here on earth, they believe that, that there was a Shekinah glory of God. The cloud filled the tabernacle with the glory of God. And so when the Israelites had a need, when they were desperate for something, where would they go? To the center of the camp, to the place where the Spirit of God dwelt, where they could go and they could commune and meet with God. Do you see? Now, years later, once they had come into the promised land, and by this time David is ruling, that David had built for himself a beautiful fortress, a beautiful palace, so to speak, and his heart is grieved. And he says, how could it be that I dwell in this beautiful fortress, and yet the glory, the presence of God is still dwelling in a tent? And so the prophet Nathan says to David, do what is in your heart. Go and build that temple. But God says, no, David, stop. You've been a man of war and your hands have shed much blood. I do not want for you to build for me a house. I will have your son build for me a house. That your son Solomon shall erect a temple in my name and for my glory. You do not touch the temple because you're a man of war and a man of bloodshed. But your son Solomon, whose name means son of peace, whose name, the root of his name is Shalom, which means peace, the normal greeting for the Hebrew, the man of peace, that's the one who I want to build the temple. And so Solomon builds the temple just as the Lord had prescribed, just as God had said. And within that temple, let's look at a picture of this temple. If you can bring up that first, the temple grounds. By the time, there were three temples by the time Jesus had arrived. There was the first, which was Solomon's temple. The second, which was Ezra's temple, or that which had been rebuilt after the Babylonian captivity. And this third temple, which is most commonly referred to as Herod's temple. This is what it looked like. There were these massive courtyards on the temple grounds. And you can see, that if you look up there, there's that Gentiles courtyard. And when you go into the actual temple mount, let's take it to the next spot, the next picture, if you will. You can see the Gentiles could surround the temple. They couldn't come into the temple. They couldn't come within the walls of the temple. They were allowed on the mount. They were allowed on those courtyards, but they couldn't come inside. You come inside... And then there's a court for women. Women could come so far. And then the priest could go a little further. And there when the priest would go in, there was an altar to which the men would bring their sacrifices. And the priest would sacrifice those, those animals on that altar. And then they'd take that blood within the, the temple itself. And within the temple itself, there was a table with showbread. There were lamps and there was oil and there was incense. There were these beautiful furnishings and they would light this lamp and this lamp represented the glory of God and the incense represented the prayers of the saints and the showbread represented offerings. And, and then there was a huge curtain. This curtain, what some people believe, 30 feet by 60 feet in size, four inches thick. It weighed so much that in order to part this curtain, it would take a veil, literally a veil, it would take as many uh, as 300 men to move and maneuver this curtain, this veil. 
But on the other side of that veil, inside the temple, inside the holy place, that veil separated the holy place from what was known as the Holy of Holies. And inside the Holy of Holies, there was the mercy seat of God. And the, the priest would go in, high priest, one time a year, would go into this Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle the blood of atonement seven times upon the mercy seat. And underneath the mercy seat, inside the mercy seat, was the Ark of the Covenant, the law of God, that which represented the tangible presence of God here on earth. And so the priest would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice seven times, and it would atone for the sins of the people and cover the law. And the priest would only go in one time a year into the presence of the Lord. This place right here is the place which was considered to be the most holy place in all of the world. Every Jew revered this place. Every Jew worshiped towards this place. Every Jew looked to this place as the place where the glory of God resided. This is the place they longed for more than any place. But by the time Jesus arrives at this, his last Passover, all that the Hebrew religion had pointed to, all of the purpose of the Jewish religion had become basically not. And it had been replaced with a commercial attitude and a commercial spirit. And so Jesus arrives this day. Again, this is the season of Passover. And it says that he goes and he begins to turn over the tables of those who bought and sold. Bring up that first picture one more time, if you will. You see those courts around the outside, the Gentiles' courtyard? All throughout that area, this was the only area that a non-Jew could approach the presence of God. And what the Jews had done by this time is they'd filled it with something called Annas' Bazaar, or the Bazaar of Annas, the high priest. And there were tables that could be rented and booths that could be rented for people to buy and to sell things. And so by the time Jesus comes, all of this beautiful picture that God had been painting this picture of the temple, this picture of the tabernacle, all of it was marred by the greed of man. And Jesus comes and he's grieved by what is going on. Now, let me read to you this verse out of Deuteronomy chapter 16. Because there are three times, three moments in which a Jewish male had to come to Jerusalem to the temple if he wanted to worship properly. Listen to what it says, Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 16 and 17. It says, three times a year, all of your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, that God will choose, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is, again, during this time of Passover. They, they are right next to each other. At the Feast of Weeks and at the Feast of Booths. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Everyone say empty-handed. God says, when you come, you do not come without a sacrifice. When you show up to the presence of God, you make sure that you do not show up empty-handed. When you come, you have to make sure that you've got something to lay before the altar of God if you want to meet with his presence. Now, the beauty of the Christian faith is that Jesus knows this, that you cannot approach the presence of God apart from a sacrifice. You cannot come to God empty-handed. And so do you know what Jesus does for you and for me? He becomes that sacrifice. And he gives of himself so that you and I can approach the presence of God and not come empty-handed. Why? Because the Spirit of God dwells in you. And he laid down his life for your sake. And so when you are in Christ, you come into the presence of God and you're not showing up without anything to give. He's already given it all. There's nothing that you can give 
that God needs. You understand that this morning, don't you? God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your time. He doesn't need your effort. He invites you to participate in this work in that way, but he doesn't need you for any of that. All that you needed has already been accomplished in Christ, and now we can show up into the presence of God and not be empty-handed. Look at verse 17. Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord your God, just as God has given to you. So that we come, and we come in proportion to what God has given us. That each of us has a portion that we would bring. This is what this verse is saying. So again, at this season of Passover, it's commanded in Deuteronomy that during this time, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, during this time of Passover, that every Jewish male shows up with an offering in hand to give to the Lord in gratitude in appreciation, in thanksgiving, and to make atonement for their sins and the sins of their family. Now, many Bible scholars believe that during this time, that the city of Jerusalem would swell to 250, maybe as many as 500,000 people. Imagine that just for a moment. 500,000 people in Jerusalem, all at the same time, all with an offering to bring. The historian Josephus tells us that by AD 66, that it was recorded there were over 250,000 lambs that were sacrificed during Passover season. Just imagine, like logistically, how messy and disgusting that would be, right? And they're all here at the same time, and all of this, all of this, the temple, the holy place, the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, the sprinkling of the blood, the Passover lamb that is being sacrificed, all of this was supposed to point to the one who was coming who would take away the sins of the world, Jesus. It was a beautiful object lesson and picture that God had given to the people of Israel so that they would be ready when their lamb came. And just the day before, they're waving palm branches and they're crying out and they're shouting out, but they missed the point. In Leviticus chapter 23, there's an outline, and you, I'm, I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but let me just explain this. I want you to study this on your own later. There's this beautiful outline of the feasts of the Lord, and that word feasts in the Hebrews, in, in Hebrew is moedim. It means appointments. The appointments of the Lord are specified in the book of Leviticus chapter 23. It's an outline of all of the Hebrew feasts, the seven Hebrew feasts. Now, those are considered appointments, dates that need to be set, appointments in the religious Hebrew calendar. Now, think about this just for a moment. This blows my mind because it says there that these feasts are of the Lord, and then it specifically says in Leviticus 23 that these are holy convocations. The translation of that in Hebrew, holy convocations, can be translated recitals or recitation, or some scholars say dress rehearsals. So reason with me just for a moment. Think through this with me just for a moment. God gives an outline to the nation of Israel, and he says, I want you to keep these appointments every year. This is how you worship. These are the feasts that you're to keep. All of these appointments I want you to keep. Why? Because they're a dress rehearsal for what's to come. You're getting ready. You're preparing your hearts. You're readying yourself for the arrival of the Passover lamb. You're readying yourself for the one who will come and make an atonement. You're, ready, you're readying yourself for the one who will remove your sin. You're readying yourself. You're rehearsing this so that when the lamb arrives, you'll be ready. You know what? The people weren't ready. This is what it says in Colossians chapter 2. It says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or in regard to a festival 
Moedim, those, those feasts, or a new moon, or a Sabbath, what does Paul say? He says, these are a shadow of the things which should come, but the substance belongs to Christ. These were to foreshadow the coming of the Christ. Don't let anyone judge you for not keeping these further. Those were all pointing to Jesus. And now that the substance has arrived, you no longer need to worship the shadows. The substance is here. Do you see? See, here's what grieves my heart is Jesus, he comes on this day. He knows. He knows between him and the Lord somehow, and I don't know when, I don't know how it happened, but he knows that all of this has been pointing to him all of this time. He knows that the season of Passover is about him. And we read Jesus going to Passover, celebrate the Passover throughout his life. The first time we read about it is in the book of Luke, Luke chapter two. You can read this yourself later. As a young boy, 12 years old, a 12-year-old boy was considered a man by that time in the Hebrew customs. He was accountable for his own spiritual well-being, no longer under his parents' spiritual care or covering. At that point in time, as a Hebrew male at 12 years old, he was responsible for himself before God. You understand? And at 12 years old, it says that they go, he goes with his family to the Passover to celebrate it there in Jerusalem at the temple. And his family leaves once the festival, the feast is finished. And Jesus stays behind. And his parents actually go a day's journey before they figure out that Jesus isn't with them. And they go back to Jerusalem. They go back to the temple and they search high and low. Finally, on the third day, they find Jesus seated in the temple, reasoning, teaching, and asking questions of the, the religious leaders there. And they say, why would you do this to us, Jesus? And what did Jesus say? He said this. He said, you should have known when you came looking for me that I would be in my father's house. Some versions say, you should know that I need to be about my father's work, my father's business. You should have known where to find me. That was the first recorded Passover that we have, but the first recorded Passover of Jesus's earthly ministry, once he started to actually walk around the countrysides ministering as a rabbi, we find in John chapter two, and he makes a whip of cords, and he goes into the temple the same way, and he's whipping that cord in the air, and he's driving out those who are buying and selling in the temple. Why? Why is he doing this? Because they're making a mockery of the picture that God intended to point to his arrival. And so he comes and he cleanses the temple and he says, you've made my father's house a house of merchandise. And here in this third account, he's, again, he's driving out the people, overturning the tables. And he said, you've perverted what God wanted in this picture, this foreshadowing, this, this appointment, this rehearsal, and it's all wrong. And so I need to drive you out because this has no place in my father's house. Passover was about Jesus, and he knew it, and so he went to extreme lengths to drive those people out. Now, this is how wicked it had become. Remember, you saw those courtyards called the courtyard of the Gentiles, yes? And the high priest would rent out booths or tables where people could buy and they could sell. And this is what it was like as a worshiper in those days. Imagine a young boy, 12, 13 years old, coming into Jerusalem for the very first time bringing with him maybe a sacrifice of a pigeon or a dove because that's all he could afford. And so he brings with him his sacrifice. He wants to be right with God. He wants to meet with the Lord. He knows the word says, if you come to the presence of God, you cannot come empty-handed. 
And so here's this young boy, first worshiper, and he's coming with his sacrifice, and he comes to the temple grounds, and he brings his sacrifice to be inspected by the priests. And the priests take that little bird, and they inspect it, and they find some sort of fault with it. They say, this this sacrifice is blemished. This sacrifice just won't do. You need to go over to the table over there. They will sell you a sacrifice. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.